2020 is almost over. Can I get an amen? Of course, who knows what 2021 is going to bring at this point, as long as we just like survive it. I'm okay with that. This year was just a fucking shit show, and I think we can all relate. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have years of therapy ahead of me to figure out my now trust issues with the world. Good news, though, is that it did replace my mommy and daddy issues, so I guess that's a good thing. During this otherwise nonsensical year, one thing did make sense to me, and that was down to brown. It gave me life to be able to talk to other brown women, also figuring out some of the, let's say, intriguing situations and patterns, stories, traumas, experiences that we've gone through, things that we've been told, we're still following and trying to break the cycle on. I think the coolest thing is that we're now asking questions. I was just talking to a girlfriend of mine who's going to be on this next year and she was like, hey, there's something going on. We're seeing a lot more women come forward and call out some of this stuff and it just helps you feel less alone. I just want to say for that reason, whoever is listening or whoever participated the last few months, thank you. Meeting so many others who feel the same way has helped us build a humble community because sometimes you literally need someone else to just say, hey, I've been there. You're not alone. I started out my first episode, if you remember, by asking the question, how do we embrace and thrive amidst the dichotomy and comedy of being multiple identities? I hope that you've been hearing an answer to this question in each and every episode that we've covered so far. Not to fear, season two is a coming. It will reach a whole lot of other topics. And I've also got a new crew of guests lined up. I think you'll like them. I'll be posting topics on my Instagram in the next couple weeks uh, between stories of my dog, Isla. So, woof. My final guest this year is Mehak Pargava, founder of Millennials for Environment based in India. She'll explain a little bit more about the name of the organization. Guys, while she's not here yet, I have to say, wow, like my self-esteem tells me that like, I'm like maybe smart, but talking to her, I am shooketh. I am nominated in the same category as Meryl Streep type humbled. Mayhuk is 10 years younger than me, but is easily 10 years wiser than me. She is one of the smartest, wokest, aware Gen Z women you'll meet. I do not know if I spouted any facts at that level at the age of 20 like she is. She is going to help us understand the farmers' protests in India and why we should care and what we can do to get involved or take action. Okay, okay. Now, let me bring her on. Hi, Mayhawk. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Um, I know I slid into your dms um a few weeks ago <laughs> um, yeah which is a cute one way. interesting experience <laughs> one inter- did you like my opening line 
<laughs> yes, yes, I really did. We all did actually, our entire team. <laughs> I know sliding into DMs is a cute way of basically saying I'm a total stranger who reached out to you. Um, but I had to because I was doing research about the farmers' protests in India, which we heard about, we're hearing about, and a lot of this is memes or uh, articles that. I feel like I'm not getting the full picture because as I'm talking to relatives in India, if I talk to people here, just really different things. So when I was looking, I kept seeing your account pop up and especially with a lot more information on it. Um, so I was really intrigued. So I, I can't thank you enough for taking a chance and being open to the connection. I should thank you for like inviting me and like being able to reach more of people through your podcast. I think like it's important that that we talk to as many people as possible to to tell them about what's happening in India and with the farmers' protests. So th- Tell me a little bit about your organization. I mean, what is Millennials for Environment? First of all, I would like to clarify that we are not actually millennials. We are like Gen Z. What? But when we began... <laughs> That's it. Shut it down. <laughs> so like we're all like quite young. We're all students uh, from various universities across India. We also have people who are employed, by the way. So like we do have some millennials, but like most of us are Gen Z, you know, because I mean, like we chose the name because initially like we wanted to something like something cool something catchy like something like you know like nice and sophisticated like so and gen z for environment is just awkward <laughs> and weird. have the same rank like, like we didn't think that we'd come so far with so many people and like have this kind of reach uh, across india and meet all the groups we have met so far and so like at like now in hindsight i do think that we could have been a more like we could have been more creative and careful with what we are naming because we do get this question a lot that are we actually millennials but and then we always like laugh about it and joke about it that we are not <laughs> and that we're all gen z kids you it's know it's a private inside joke but in all seriousness when we were first introducing ourselves, you had mentioned that you were um, a third year, right, a yeah. student in undergrad. And I remember being like, oh, wow, she's much younger than I thought. And then I caught myself because I was like, Laurie, you're kind of being ageist. Like, actually, this is a perfect point of view because you are also seeing like in university at that point and then Gen Z, I feel like is such an almost intimidating generation to me because you know, and this is so cliche, like the older generation's always like, oh, the younger one is so <laughs> mysterious. But I feel like there's a sense of awareness about global topics and uh, much more of an action driven passion about it um, than maybe even millennials. I think later in life, maybe we might have been more active. I won't speak for, for everyone. But um, that's why I'm just I think it's so critical to not exclude people from the conversation just because of what generation I shouldn't be just talking to millennials. Even though we have the name millennials, I think we're able to reach out to both Gen Z and millennials. So I think that works out well for us in retrospect. Like I couldn't tell from your profile that how old were you? Oh. Or like, I mean, now it's become a norm right? that like you have to see the Instagram at least. I mean, to tell like like if they're okay or not, right? I mean, like it's become a norm at least for Gen Z. I don't know if you guys do it or not, but like we do for sure. We do it for everyone. Like if they're okay or not. Oh, for sure. 
I think for us it was more Facebook when we were just, um, especially like when dating, like if I, like I was on apps and like anyone else who was dating on apps, you would like always check like their oh, LinkedIn and did? Facebook oh my God. to make sure they LinkedIn were like legit. so <laughs> ancient, I feel at this point. It, it really is, but you got to see if they're employed. Oh my God. But yeah, I think now it's all Instagram and then of course TikTok. Oh, no, no. Wait, has that not taken off as much? I mean, it has, but, like, I don't use TikTok, and, like, around me, people also, like, don't use TikTok, so, uh, I mean, like, TikTok has, like, a huge market in India, for sure, like, obviously, because we're a, we're a big country, and we have so many people, but, um, like, at least with me and people around me, we don't use TikTok as much, we're mostly on Instagram and Tinder, you know? So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was a twist. <laughs> Am I allowed to ask, like, what is Tinder like in India? Um, like, pretty much knows that it's the place you go to if you want to have sex. Like, mm-hmm. if you are if you are on Tinder, then like everyone knows that that you want something casual because because there's no way you would be on Tinder if you wanted something serious. So yeah, especially on a college campus care very much about the environment and being a voice um, for the environment in India. Can you tell me a little bit more about when you first realized that this was something you wanted to spend your time on? I mean, as a child, so like, we used to like learn about like global warming and climate change in our school textbooks. And I always thought, okay, you know what, like, I mean, someone else will solve it. Like, someone will take care of it, you know? And like, I mean, I can do whatever I want. But then uh, I think in in late 2018, early 2019, um, uh, the report came out by UNFCC on climate change that uh, we have approximately 12 years to uh, stop the earth from warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And if we do warm uh, to 1.5 degrees Celsius, then there will be like extreme catastrophic events and we will not survive. So that report really hit me like, mm-hmm. okay, like something really bad is happening, mm-hmm. especially for people my age and my generations and people after me. And why is no one doing anything about it? And at the same time, I happened to take a course in in environmental studies. So we have to like do a mandatory course at Ashoka in, in ABS. And I happened to take that. And like these, like these two things, like they changed my life forever. I can just say that now. Because that, like, I can see the change happening in India itself, where it's getting warmer and warmer, and the monsoons on which pretty much most of India depends, like in terms of uh, of agriculture and industries and people as well. There was this one day in our class where we watched a documentary on uh, on uh, the crisis in in agriculture. The area around Nagpur is called uh, Vidharba. And we have lots of farmers in this area. And that documentary hit me really hard because it was based in Vidharba. And it was about farmers committing suicides because of the deep state of crisis they were in in agriculture. And like, it's an old documentary. It's called Nero's Guess. It's by P. Sainath. And that really hit me hard because I remember, uh, like, I think 
uh, well, since 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 the time I began reading newspapers, I think I was in I was in third or fourth or fifth grade, and I remember reading about pharmaceuticals, and I always wondered that these people who spend their lives and spend everything they have to grow food for us are committing suicide, and why is it that we cannot help them at all? Yeah, I can't imagine the type of impression that it made. And I think, unfortunately, some of us, despite watching films like this or learning more about it, are still hesitating to take the action that we should, perhaps. So bringing this back to why we're here today, can you tell us a little bit more about what we need to know about the farmers' protests in India? Why we should care? And how did this all start? So in September, the the central government passed three laws uh, like and even these laws were passed problematically that they were passed with a voice vote which has never happened in the Indian parliament where you just pass laws with a voice vote you have to like give ballots but that didn't happen and these three laws are uh, are uh, so uh, so what happened was that that usually and it's mandatory and it's in the constitution as well that whenever you pass the laws in the parliament you have to vote for it through a ballot and what happened was that this didn't happen at all these laws were just passed with a voice vote but where people said yes in their mic and it was passed and this has never happened in india ever so that has to be like noted that even the way these laws were passed they were they were quite rushed in that respect that they didn't follow all the laws that are mentioned in the constitution um secondly these three farm laws are are meant to be as the government says to reform the agriculture sector by opening it up and making it easier for corporates uh, to enter the space so i'll just explain briefly what these three laws are first law is the farmers produce trade and commerce act is so in india uh, the the uh, you have special markets where you can sell agricultural products where the government uh, ensures that the farmers get at least the minimum support price for their produce and so uh, this is called the apmc market or the apmc mandi and this is a very essential feature for the farmers where they're able to get like at least the deserved and required price for their produce is this a way of like ensuring fairness basically in the pricing yeah yeah so it ensures that farmers at least get a fair fair price for their produce in the ap in like in the market to the apmc so uh, every year the state regulates the uh, the apmc and they are the ones who, who who conduct the entire process so what this new law does is that it is kind of dismantling the apmc where uh, so the, the the law says that the farmers can sell outside the apmc which is not true because farmers were always selling even outside the apmc so what was happening before the laws were introduced is that the farmers were selling in the apmc system where they got a fair price but they were even selling outside the apmc system so when this law says 
that they were allow uh, they that they were allowing the farmers to uh, sell outside uh, the apmc system is not like true actually and mm. what the and in the in the details of this law it is it is dismantling the apmc system so the fear that farmers have is that if the apmc is removed then they will not get a fair price for their produce and the thing is that uh, in india like around 80% of the farmers are small and uh, small farmers or landless laborers so like and so like they have small holdings right so for them to survive they need the minimum support price or msp and they need that apmc now even the farmers have said that for sure apmc has it has its problems it has it has efficiencies and that has to be improved but you cannot remove it you cannot remove apmc and you cannot remove msp because then there is no guarantee for for us for the farmers where we'll get a fair price for our produce right. so that's the first law where the farmers have an objection that they will not get a fair price for their produce if this law is implemented and if and if apmc is dismantled essentially through this law mm-hmm. the second law is the farmers agreement of price assurance and farm services act so this act basically allows the farmers to do contract farming where uh, big corporates mnc's big agri businesses can enter and employ farmers on a on a contractual basis so again the government says that this will allow uh, that 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 this will allow more investment in agriculture and will and will help increase the income of the farmers again uh, th- like this isn't true because even before we were having farmers doing contractual farming you had you had mnc's and big corporates uh, like uh, like like uh, setting up deals with farmers to uh, grow uh, to grow particular crops what this uh, does is that it it uh, makes it more legal and also is encouraging it and there is no safety net in it for farmers it does not also take away control from the farmers exactly exactly so the main concern that farmers have is that if they enter into contractual farming with these big mncs and corporates then they will uh, like they will again not receive fair price from mm-hmm. the mncs and again they will suffer because you have to realize that that to till this state more than half of india is involved in agriculture more than half of the population is involved in agriculture and agriculture is a third of the gdp mm-hmm. right and and a big part of this farming population are small and marginal farmers who have a small land holdings so they will have no negotiating power with with these mncs and big corporates mm-hmm. if they enter into a contract with them they'll just be at the mercy of them yeah and as you know the mncs and corporates they will bring in very complex legal contracts you cannot yes. expect the farmers to be able to comprehend that right and there have been examples where previously this has not helped the farmers at all where where mncs and corporates have entered the space and they have left the farmers high and dry so this has happened before mm. now the third law is the um the essential commodities act 
So what this act allows is that previously only the government authorities could uh, could store uh, uh, produce, agricultural produce. Now this act allows even private entities to uh, hold uh, and to store the produce. And the main fear with this again is that this act will allow uh, certain uh, private firms to hold the supplies and create an artificial shortage in the market. So, uh, so like, so, so it's the combination of these three laws which push the farmers to protest. So, even when the laws were passed in September, they they were protesting a lot. Again, uh, the thing is that the Indian media uh, is like it has lost some of its freedom and is not as critical of the government as it used to be. And so the mainstream media, and especially the the TV news media, they didn't show that the farmers were protesting in September. And then again, I think all the farmers in India regrouped, and they had decided that on uh, November uh, 26th they will all march to the capital. Uh, so that's Delhi. And they will all march to the parliament demanding a new parliament session to solve the crisis in agriculture, to bring in new reforms. And uh, so like their demand, uh, so like one of their demands has been throughout the years to make MSP, that's the minimum support price, a legal right for every farmer. That for every f- farmer, they get the, the, the MSP price for their produce. And that has been a demand for years now. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that these protests are not happening for the first time because even the farmers acknowledge that there is a deep crisis in agriculture because of climate change, because of environmental uh, destruction and of, of other various factors. Like, so, like it's a decades long yeah. um, struggle that farmers like at like for example in the last six years there have been multiple protests across the country that agriculture has been in a state of crisis for a long time now and please address this and bring in new reforms and laws so in 2018 again uh, lakhs and thousands of farmers marched to the parliament that uh, like that like, like demanding and requesting that that the parliament holds a special session for them only on agriculture where even the farmer groups are there at the table and they all make new reforms to address the crisis because the thing is that most farmers in india are in huge huge debt and right. many of them commit suicides so the rate of committing suicides is only increasing every single year so to give you a figure, in India, 7% of all suicides are by farmers. And mm-hmm. in, 2013, in, in 2019, around 10,000 plus farmers committed, su- uh, like committed suicide. So, and again, even in this, many suicides are not reported or counted. And the National Crime, Bo- uh, the, the National Crime Records Bureau of India has officially stopped collecting data on farmer suicides since uh, 2016. It almost seems like a very overlooked group that I, I can't help but feel this. It sounds to me, right, as someone who's hearing this from you, almost like a Christopher Columbusing of 
an industry, which if you're familiar with Christopher Columbus, he's notorious here, right? In the yeah, States. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it almost feels like coming in, telling someone else how they are going to be doing their jobs that was already working and then expecting them to conform, right? Um, and it's obviously not in the interest of those people to begin with. And so I'm trying to understand also, why do you think the government thinks this is a good idea? Like, why are they doing this? So in my opinion, the government wants to bring in these laws is that uh, for, for some time now, the ruling party has been known to favor private, like, like some private corporations a lot in every aspect of industry, businesses, sector. So there has, so even now, there have been linkages made with two particular specific private corporations, Ambani and Adani. No, oh, they're the where, big guys. Again, yeah, in my opinion, these laws will directly benefit these private corporations. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, I mean, I don't like, it, it, it seems very clear, at least to us, who are working in this space, who stand in support of the farmers, that there is a clear move to commercialize agriculture, uh, to again help and benefit the big private businesses at the cost of millions and millions of small farmers who are who are who who have been uh, who who are committing suicide already and who will further like. Been, will, be, will be pushed to a state where they will be at the absolute mercy of mm-hmm. these private corporations. Mm-hmm. No way in these three laws are benefiting the farmers at all. So, um, in my opinion, the government, like, has, like, because there have been some other laws which have been brought, which, which are known to benefit the, these specific private corporations, it seems the same case again over here as well, where they are helping these private corporations. And that's something that we, I think we can even relate to. And I, I feel like a lot of countries are going through this and a lot of economies, but and even in the states of certain private influences, right, to that are self-serving, um, but at the cost of very marginalized economies in return. And I mean, for us, it's been tech is a big discussion here, right? Like what you described oh. about Ambani, it's almost like Amazon, like the conversation <laughs> oh, about right. Amazon all yeah, the time, Yeah, Amazon right? on Facebook, right? The big boots. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm definitely, it, it's, it's really interesting because you hear such a different um, story here where a lot of the people, at least that I are, that are in my bubble of news, um, you know, that I follow and see are very much standing in solidarity with the farmers even the bay bridge in san francisco was completely blocked one day on a weekend day because they had been standing you know protesting with cars and blocking the bridge to bring awareness to it to driving to the indian consulate um at the same time you know like this is something that's not new to us especially this year you know i was mentioning there's and you have probably been paying attention to all the like news that America has been in, you know, such a um, such a drama this year. But uh, it's uh, very importantly, a lot of the racial injustice protests and this is not new to us where we see news channels and media not give the light that marginalized groups deserve. And so we don't actually even know sometimes what's happening. But at least luckily we can take back some of the conversation through social media and like these platforms that we now have. 
But on the flip side, I know that there's also a significant contingent who believes that the farmers actually don't understand this quite well and are very much on the side of the government. So how do you feel about that? So the major argument that such people have is that uh, only the farmers in Punjab and Haryana are protesting. So Punjab and Haryana, like for a long time now, have been uh, the major agriculture states in India. So and and thing and they have been successful in 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 bringing together like in uh, in collectivizing their unions and building a strong front to to these laws. But the fact of the matter is that the protests are happening across the country. So most people who agree with the government, they say that it's only the farmers in Punjab and Haryana who are uh, like protesting. And what often uh, the media tells, uh, which is like so, uh, like it's 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 important to note at this point that the Indian mainstream media has been compromised uh, by the ruling government to the extent that whatever the government says is exactly said by the media and they don't show light on all of these protests and and of other important issues so the government politicians so like so the government leaders and politicians they say that it's the that, that, that there are some foreign forces who are who have a conspiracy against India that they want to, that they are that they are misleading the farmers and uh, creating all sorts of uh, problems for India, or um, the farmers are being misled by the mm-hmm. by the Congress party. That so that's the main uh, party that's in opposition to to, to BJP. Then uh, then they say that that these protests are by terrorists by uh, who are who are involved in these protests yeah i've heard a lot of people taking away the credibility which is again such a move of the privilege to take away power from those that are protesting right so i've also heard that people are hiring people to send and like make this a commotion piece yeah Um, yeah so like a common move that this government has whenever any protest happen is that to to peddle false narratives that they are all anti-national people that they are all influenced by foreign forces they that there is a conspiracy internationally to to defame India and to so their aim is to take away all credit like you said from these protests and these people so even that's what's happening now and that's what people who support and who agree with the government also agree that oh you know they are just like like uh, that, that uh, these farmers are just uh, like against any kind of reform or any improvement for them it, it will actually benefit them or help them you know mm-hmm. like like prime minister modi can't do anything wrong he's also he he obviously supports the farmers and this and that <laughs> so that's the kind of thing they say when these protests happen but their their biggest argument is that these protests are only happening in punjab and haryana which is not true because protests have been happening across the country it is just that the mainstream media uh, like will not give them space or will not show what is happening in the other states of india so mm-hmm. what has happened now is that farmers have marched from various states so you had farmers from kerala so kerala is in the south of the country and they ca- ca- so, so farmers from kerala have marched to delhi 
फार्मर्स फ्रॉम महाराष्ट्र अगेन हैव मार्च टू डेली फार्मर्स फ्रॉम गुजरात विच यू कैन से इज द होम स्टेट ऑफ प्राइम मिनिस्टर मोदी फार्मर्स वर वर नॉट अलाउड टू गो टू डेली सो दे वर स्टॉप्ड विच इज अगेन लाइक दे कॉन्ट डू दैट आई मीन एवरी इंडिविजुअल इन इंडिया हैज द राइट टू मूव फ्रीली अक्रॉस स्टेट्स लाइक वी हैव दैट राइट बट फार्मर ग्रुप्स इन गुजरात who were against these laws and were in support with the farmers at the protest sites were not allowed to go from gujarat to delhi you had farmers protesting in 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 uttar pradesh in kashmir and uh, in other states as well yeah. and what, what what has also happened is that at least five states have refused to implement these laws these five states are chatisgarh maharashtra punjab kerala and rajasthan and they have said that they will not implement these laws at all That will be really interesting because I know at least all I know really in detail is in America the concept of government federal and state, right? So like when states refuse there is sort of this discussion that can potentially take place in the courts. How about in India? Can if they push back those five states, what happens? Can they implement that? So India is a federal country where uh, both central government and state government can make laws and what has been done is that in the constitution uh, there is the union list where only the union government can make the laws on these subjects then you have the state list where on these subjects only the state government can make laws so and then you have the concurrent list where both central and state government can make laws now what has happened is that uh, agriculture is a state subject so technically the central government cannot make these laws because mm-hmm. only the state governments can make these laws because agriculture is a state subject and now the issue at hand will be that it, uh, that it all depends on the supreme court on how they will interpret that that whether the the central government has supremacy in making these laws or uh, the state governments have uh, the right to make the laws on agriculture because so like even over here it's quite a complex issue because there have been past judgments where uh, so so the past uh, judgments say that uh, only the state governments can make laws on agriculture but uh, there are there are uh, specific laws in the concurrent list which allow uh, the central government to make laws on trade and commerce on on food stuffs so you see even like the kind of wording and the kind of uh, the kind of uh, and how it will be interpreted by the, by the mm. supreme court will matter a lot in this case especially so it, it all depends on the supreme court at this point but the states have refused uh, to pass these laws and so they have uh, passed motions in their state assemblies in their state parliaments that they will not implement these laws at all so that has happened but i yes. think it all like remains to be seen how the supreme court acts on 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 this because there, there is a very clear contradiction between what the constitution mentions in terms of mm. who can make the laws on agriculture and what the government has done actually this is fascinating because it really is it, there are so many analogies here too of uh, reinforcing those powers you know between the courts and i think What so I want to be careful about what I say next because I don't know enough about Modi and I live here so I want to be very humble about my observation but I have observed that there is quite a fan following um of Modi in India and almost a very um 
almost like a godly type, like protection of reputation and um, solidarity with what he says and um, going along with it. And so when I bring that up because when a lot of the response you even mentioned, you know, when I've talked to folks in India is that, you know, Modi is on the side of the farmers and. So how do you feel about like this, the side that perhaps the influence that Modi would have and even the courts would have on this conversation? So, I mean, how, like if you ask the question of how Modi has much of influence, it's because the BJP spent a lot on marketing him. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us what the BJP is? Uh, Modi is from, so his party is called the Bharatiya Janta Party. So that's the BJP. And they have been the ruling party in India since, since 2014. They have won the, uh, the Lok Sabha elections and they have formed the government in India since 2014 and in 2019. So now they are in their second term. So, mm-hmm. so, so uh, this is the second term of Modi as a prime minister. And why... Uh, Modi has such a big influence on Indians is because like I said that the mainstream media has stopped being critical of the government of Modi and so they only show news reels and articles that 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 show him in a good light that's one aspect second aspect mm-hmm. is that the BJP, uh, they spend a lot of money, like thousands and crores of money on just marketing Modi and his policies. So many times you will see that if for some scheme, a big chunk of that budget or of that money is only spent on on just spreading the word about that, like not even spreading the word, it's just marketing that scheme to an extent where everyone just believes that yeah, he's doing it. The third aspect is that, um, wait, sorry, What's the third aspect, I forgot, I just blanked now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mentioned the media, no? I, I mentioned mm-hmm. the media, media, the marketing part, and yes. um, yeah, the third aspect is that the BJP and uh, Modi have been very successful in creating a binary where if you don't support Modi, then you don't support India or love India. So the binary has become so strong that if you don't support if, if you don't support Modi and don't support his policies, then you are an anti-national mm-hmm. or like or support his policies, then you would directly become an anti-national. Mm-hmm. And and that means that that you, that you do that you don't love India or will lo- or, yeah, or you don't support India. That is dangerous territory. And that's yeah, that is so dangerous because recently in 2019, the government brought a new law, which is the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act, which is the UAPA Act. And what this allows the government to do is that the government can put any individual, be it whoever it is, under jail and deem them as terrorists because they have been threatening the independence of India. So what has happened since then is that it is the most sweeping law which which, which threatens the fundamental rights of all Indians. And since then, so as a part of creating this narrative and this binary between between supporting between supporting Modi and being an international, any person who has been critical of Modi has been put in jail under UAPA. So many activists, many students, many lawyers, many teachers as well, many professors as well 
have been put under jail and have been in months for jail where they cannot, but they don't have access uh, to courts uh, for, for however long the government wishes. And so through this act as well, the government has been actively trying to crush and suppress all dissent and remove any kind of uh, like any kind of like idea or or narrative that might uh, endanger what Modi is saying. So, like and and even Facebook here comes in this in this uh, part. Um, uh, so uh, a few months ago, the Wall Street Journal released a report that Facebook had been uh, suppressing and removing uh, posts which were uh, which which uh, were critical of Modi and BJP. So even and Instagram has also been known where they have removed certain stories, certain posts, some accounts who have been critical of Modi. So you see that at every level, the government has been trying to suppress any kind of other narrative which speaks the truth or which is, which is uh, critical of Modi and the government and has been actively like crushing all of these people and suppressing every dissent that, that, that's, that's happening and possible. I feel that is already dangerous for obvious reasons, but especially a country and culture where typically we're asked and encouraged to stick to a sort of status quo, really think about before we challenge authority, there's sort of this blind respect, right, for institutions that have existed before, um, people who are older, etc. And I am just so curious to understand how that is coming into play. Um, but really what I want to say is I hope, you know, if not for all the other reasons that you've described of why people should care about this subject, but a lot of the things you're describing are things that even in the States, we're trying to understand how points of views are being stifled or not heard or a government that is very domineering and the point of view that people hold is not foreign to us. I mean, hopefully we see something shift starting in January, but this is very raw here too. Um, and so this is something that I think a lot of us can connect in, in other countries too, where there's this sort of um, overshadowing now of the conservative um, perspective. So if you ask me why everyone else should care, it's because these protests and and how they have been dealt with by the government and the police are an example of how India is moving towards a state where they are crushing all sorts of dissent, all sorts of protest, and any voice that's critical of the government. And so that's something that all of us should be concerned about because as we have seen in our global history, where when we've had such countries where the governments have become so powerful that 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 disastrous things have, things have happened in their wake. So at least for me living in India, knowing the kind of things that are happening, I am really fearful of what might happen in the future because obviously we don't want a repeat of of Hitler's Germany or of Holocaust or, or anything like that. But at this point, it feels like that we are on that path where we might reach a stage like that. The second thing that I would like to say is that, like, for me, the farmers' protests are a moral issue. Because 
these are the people who spend their lives who spend everything they have on growing food for you and to make sure that you are healthy and you can't even support them there like there are millions of people millions of small farmers marginal farmers who are in such huge amounts of debt and who who are being pushed to a stage where they have to commit suicide because they can no longer survive and i think that brings a very fundamental question to me that what kind of place are you living in where you are living at the cost of millions of people committing suicide and how much do you have to be ignorant of their plight and of their crisis to to just not care and and to just continue with your life knowing that it will impact you in future because these acts are not just for the farmers they will impact all of us or everyone will be impacted by these acts I mean, it's clear from what you're saying that the long-term and even short-term impacts are devastating. I don't think a lot of this is, again, new in concept to Americans and Indian Americans, because this is something that we are also participating in the conversation here in terms of, especially lately, it's been with the impacts on the economy with COVID, our small businesses, for example. And even in our drama that we've been watching about the stimulus checks, for example, it's fascinating to see people make decisions for those who are not... um, close to where they are in their lives. They can't really empathize at all times and they are doing making decisions without representation essentially, which is our classic tagline here. But then in addition to that, like for example, the lo- longest debate this year has been about whether they give an additional $600 in their stimulus checks and that ha- that was fascinating to us because a lot of us were feeling like if people are needing $600 to make things work, that is not an enormous amount of money when you look at the spending that is being done at that level already, give them the $600 so that they can make their ends meet. Um, And who are they to make that decision that folks won't use that $600 wisely? It's just their money. And it's really easy to say that when you're coming from a place of much more privilege and a much more comfortable situation. So my point is that forget if you're Indian American or not. If you're American, there are many reasons why a lot of what is happening in India right now is relatable. There are a lot of connections here that are analogous or similar. And so as global citizens, there's a reason to care and to get involved and learn more. Um, So my question for you, Mehak, is what do you think we can do to be better allies or engage in this situation to help? One way you can help from America is that you ensure that you don't buy into what the government is saying and ensure that the truth about these protests and about the farmers' uh, demands are, are put forth and spread as widely as possible because the farmers are demanding for their survival. That's it. That that's all they are demanding. That that they want the, a fair price for their own survival. That's it. And so that's one way you can help. Second way you can help is that there have been NGOs who have been helping the farmers um, at the protest sites. So one of the NGOs is Khalsa Aid, where you can donate like however much you want to, and that's completely up to you. But there are NGOs who are uh, at these protest sites 
who are helping the farmers with with providing medical help because like they are all old farmers they are all old and they are on the streets since since the past one month in the coldest winter that that delhi has ever seen and they have died in that like in in this time as well like like several farmers ha- have died because of the very cold winters because they couldn't survive that cold and they have also committed suicide because they can't go back if these laws are not repealed so you can donate to these ngos and and ensure that that they get the help that 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 they can that these ngos can provide from these protest sites so they have put up medical uh, stalls they have they have ensured that 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 they get food that they get medicines that they get water sanitation blankets uh, sweaters and all sorts of essential things that they require to to be at that protest site right i mean i can't thank you enough for that recommendation because i think a lot of us feel like if we can't do anything physically there at least we can donate um that feels tangible in some way but the other thing that I heard is to not only make sure that you're aware about this and make sure to educate, don't just take things as you see them, which I think is something that we're doing a lot more and perhaps a better job of this year. But also I heard the encouragement and call to action to make sure that we are participating in that conversation. I've been also really happy to see some of my peers here who are taking the time to learn about the farmers' protests and they're posting about it. And even sometimes people say like a reshare is like, oh, what are you really doing? But for issues like this, sometimes a reshare is kind of enough to be like, you know, five other people saw it and said, oh, I didn't even know this was happening in India. Maybe I should read about it. Wait, how does this affect me, right? So I think all of these ways... could be helpful and also um, I'm so glad that you raised those all right Mehak so if you had one sentence you wanted folks to take away about the farmers demands what would that be um so the farmers are demanding that these three laws be repealed that they should not be implemented and that there sh- that there should be held a special session where they can bring in new reforms where the farmers are involved in the entire process and one of their main demands has been a fair price for their product for their produce which is the msp demand so that's msp and repealing the laws and holding a special parliament session to reform the uh, to reform agriculture sector i mean this is something that like i couldn't be more humbled by the fact that like I didn't, there's so much to this that I didn't know. And, you know, when we talked about age and everything before, like, I hope you know, like, how inspiring your work is. You know, much, much more than a lot of us do. And I'll speak to myself, like, <laughs> that I did about this, you know. And um, I used to think, like, oh, but I go to India every year. And, you know, my parents are in India. <laughs> like, all of that. And, like, clearly there's a lot more work I need to do. So thank you for leaving us also with some action items that we can do to show up better and stronger for this. It's my first podcast. And it's very exciting. And I really like Ooh, it, you know. It's not going to be your <laughs> <Yeah>. last. <laughs> Trust me, you're going to be in a lot more. <laughs> People should talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so much.